0: Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman.
1: Hey guys, thanks for finding us and tuning in. This is Aaron Fishman, and for this edition, I'll be flying solo, but not to worry. My trusty co-host will be back and ready to go in the new year. But before we launch into 2017, we've got a terrific Charlotte Hornets discussion for you. In this one, At The Hive editor Nick Denning makes his triumphant return to the podcast. He and I discuss this fundamental, not-so-sexy squad that quietly gets it done thanks to the leadership of Steve Clifford and diminutive yet highly skilled point guard Kemba Walker. Enjoy our final interview of the calendar year and be safe out there however you choose to ring in the new year. Happy New Year, Nick. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. It's good to have you on. The Hornets are an interesting team, so let's just dive right in. This will be a little bit corny, but I want to start out by getting a New Year's resolution from you for the Charlotte Hornets, something that they should start doing or being more consistent with. They need to be more
0: consistent defensively. They've had periods where they've been very good and some
1: stretches where they haven't been so good. It's actually sometimes a quarter-by-quarter thing. I'm glad you brought up the defense. Steve Clifford is known for that, their head coach. He learned under the Van Gundy brothers, was an assistant for Jeff and Stan. And the Hornets have had pretty good defense over his tenure. I don't know if you knew this, but it's their fourth straight season that Charlotte is in the top five and fewest free throw attempts allowed per game is that something that Clifford preaches and that they've just been very successful in doing that makes their defense so effective
0: yeah that's one of the things he like he has some principles that he you know preaches and that's that's one of them it's like play play without fouling this is in, this is more of an offensive thing but it's also like limiting turnovers because that also creates fewer points off turnovers he's all about packing the you know he wants to defend the paint i think he he lets teams shoot a little bit more from the perimeter, which is interesting given that, you know, we're kind of in a more perimeter-oriented league now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's working, especially with the free throws. I mean, you know, the fact that we can defend the paint without fouling them, attacking, is, is, pretty, is pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah, that is interesting in today's NBA, but like you said, it seems to be working. He's now in his fourth season as head coach. He's really turned the franchise around. Unfortunately, he's yet to oversee a playoff series win, they got close last year against the Heat. How convinced are you that he's the right person for the job?
0: Like a hundred percent convinced. Um, I mean, part of I've I've seen a few of the coaches before him. You know, I followed the Bobcats, you know, since their inception. I wasn't an original Hornets, you know, uh, fan, but I started following the team, you know, when the Bobcats, which was just a fantastic decision on my part. But you know, I was there for Mike Dunlap. I was there for the second coming to Paul Silas, which was, you know, okay at times and not so good at times. Um, Larry Brown was fun for about uh, a few months. I guess the fact that we made the playoffs, but no, he's great. He's perfect for this team. He's created an identity for them. And one thing that's becoming pretty clear is that players like to play for him. And we're not necessarily talking about stars, but a lot of players, a lot of good players like to go play for them because, or, you know, for him, just because he knows how to maximize their talent. I think there's a number of examples where guys are having not necessarily resurgences, but they're, they're playing at the level that they know that they can play at.
1: Yeah, he's a really good coach, and he's not flashy in his style. You mentioned that he preaches, take care of the ball, don't turn the ball over, and then, uh, like we said, to avoid fouling. So neither of those strategies are flashy, but they get the job done, and his personality isn't flashy either, but he's just doing a really solid job. Kemba Walker, their best player, it's hard to believe for me that he's never made an all-star team. I think last year he had a shot and then he
0: um things kind of you know, when it was time to decide who was gonna make it, he wasn't playing as well as he had been earlier. Yeah, I mean his emergence has been really in the last couple of seasons, he's just never really had the pieces around them to really, you know, to be effective because before it was like they had to rely on him. Late, late shot clock, whatever it was, it's like you gotta get the ball in his hands or else there's no chance of scoring. Mm-hmm. You know, now he has a few more pieces, they're much better at moving the ball and whatnot. He's able to do more things that he's good at, but he's also improved himself a ton. He's actually a better player than I actually thought he would be at this point.
1: I think so too. In just two or three years, from my perspective, he went from being one of the solid, but not necessarily memorable, top 15 to 20 point guards in the league. And now I think he is near elite. He's shooting right. nearly 41% from three, 46% from the field. And this is a guy... He's always been really careful with the ball, but he's never been an efficient shooter. And he's now shooting efficiently on 17 and a half field goal attempts per game. And his usage rate is pretty high. It's 16th in the league. Just gets better every year. So barring anything unexpected, he's going to make the all-star team, right?
0: I would think so. I mean, I I would hope so. It's a deep
1: field, but yeah, I
0: hope he does. Right. I was I was having this discussion last night and there are a lot of good guards. I mean, Isaiah Thomas is 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 gonna be another one right in the conversation. John Wall will be in there just because he's made it before, he's a popular player. You know, it really it's gonna come down to I think Kyle where is Lowry
1: Charlotte? is gonna be in the mix too. Absolutely. Um, like
0: where's Charlotte in the standings? What are the coaches feeling? If this all star game was still in Charlotte, he would be he would make it. But I think it's that now it's not in Charlotte, you know, I think it's up for grabs.
1: Yeah. So we talked about the low turnover rate, fourth straight year, also that Charlotte leads the league in lowest turnover percentage, and their starting point guard, Campbell Walker, leads the charge in that area. Like I said, his usage rate is 16th in the league, yet he's committing just 2.1 turnovers per game. I know he's never really been a big assist guy, but that's huge, I think, and really sets the tone for his team. How critical is it for him and just the team to follow Clifford's advice in that area?
0: It's really, it's really important. Like you said, he doesn't create a lot of assists, but he still handles the ball a ton, you know. And and that, and the fact that he's able to handle the ball as much as he does and not turn it over a whole lot is is really big. But it's just nice to see, you know, that like Clifford says, like this is what we're gonna do, and his players actually buy into that because you see the results. I mean. Like you said, not a lot of it is flashy, but right now they're, they're 19 and 14. They're fourth in the East. You know, I, I kind of mentioned the consistency on defense a little bit. If they, can, if they can improve on a little bit of that, I think they're actually, you know, they actually should have a few more wins than they have right now. You know, actually, you know, sticking to what Clifford is saying, not turning the ball over, being smart with the ball, um, it, it makes a difference. And I think you're seeing it this season and you saw it last season as well.
1: Paul Flannery for SB Nation wrote about this a couple weeks ago, just on how streaky the team is sometimes. They've had three winning streaks of three games or more, and they've also had a pair of four-game losing streaks. And so it seems like they could be even better than they already are right now. You kind of mentioned it, that if they're just more consistent on defense, that, that would go a long way. Is that basically the main thing that explains why they've had those losing streaks? and they haven't been as consistent as you'd like?
0: Yeah, that's a big part of it. The four-game losing streak they had earlier, they were all on the road. You could tell they weren't fresh. Um, but the eff- I would say the effort, you know, defensively wasn't where Clifford wanted it to be. But, but aside from those, there's three games that stand out to me where just playing a little bit better defensively and actually putting a team away would have resulted in a win. And it was an overtime loss to New Orleans where they were up 14, um, an overtime loss to Minnesota where they had a double-digit lead I think in the second half. And then more recently against Brooklyn, where they were, um, again, took a, I think they had a 12 point lead in the second quarter. Um, They looked well in control and then they let Brooklyn hang around and then Brooklyn eventually, you know, won it in the fourth. I almost feel like the team needs to like, I'm trying to think of like the right right way They, they get, they get a lead and instead of just, you know, putting their foot down and not letting them in it, you know, and just putting the game away right there, they let the team hang around a little bit through a couple of defensive lapses. And then when the offense kind of stagnates on their end the other team sort of takes advantage and they've managed to lose all three you know again you you put those losses as wins suddenly they're 22 and 11 and that's that looks better so
1: yeah that east is really crowded you have the cavaliers and raptors there's a little distance from them at the top and then um, the hornets and celtics before friday's games are tied in uh, third place but between 3rd and 12th in the East, only four and a half games are separating those spots. So with just a, a bad slide, a team could drop really far. Because of that, is there more urgency, do you think, in the regular season to separate from the pack and also for home court purposes in the playoffs?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they. I think a goal for them... I mean, that, this is obviously a goal for a lot of teams, but I think they've realized the importance of a top four seed. I, it would have made, I think, a difference last in last year's playoffs. And I think if they're going to actually, I mean, I think the goal of the season is to win at least one playoff series and at least try to make a, you know, to look like a competitive team in the actual playoffs. They have to finish, you know, in that top half. So, yeah, I mean, it's important that they're, it, it, like you said, it, it, it's making each game count a lot more than maybe they would for other teams. They are better than a lot of the teams below them, but they're still, you know, they're. Cl- I kind of wrote about this recently. They kind of remain closer to that group. They almost kind of get sucked into that rather than trying to separate themselves, being third or fourth, but having some distance between fifth and through twelfth.
1: Yeah, when you look at the Eastern Conference standings, the landscape of it is pretty interesting because you really only have three bad teams, in my opinion, the 76ers, Nets, and Heat. The Magic, Pistons, Pistons are on a slide lately, but Pacers, Wizards, all of them are barely under 500. But like you said, I see the Hornets as kind of in the same tier as the Celtics, and they seem, at least to me, considerably better than the Knicks, Hawks, Bucks, and Bulls, yet they're barely ahead of them. Is that a little bit frustrating as someone who watches the Hornets and sees how good they can be?
0: Yeah, because I think the one advantage that they have over these teams, especially like New York, their core pieces are very much the same. You know, whereas New York brought in Rose and brought in uh, Noah, you know, they're they're trying to piece things together. The Hornets are very much, you know, the same team that they were last year, minus a few pieces. I mean, some of them key, but I mean, you know, Walker's still there, Batum's still there, Martin Williams is still there. But I will say this: if you if historically speaking, if you look at teams under Steve Clifford. They actually never quite hit their peak until around late February, early March. So the fact that they are 19 and 14 right here is, is actually it's okay. And I think it's fine. Um, They just have to avoid a January slide, which is something that they, they suffer from last season, but one thing they mentioned last, if you talk to play if you, players, mentioned this. You know, they said that one reason they were able to get out of that slide last season was because they got MKG back for seven games, and he actually kind of rejuvenated things. But yeah, that's I, I still think their best basketball is still a month, month and a half away.
1: You talked about the stability with the team. They lost some guys, Al Jefferson, for instance, but. Over the three years that he was in town, he was just being progressively depended upon a lot less with his minutes Mm -hmm. and shot attempts dwindling each season. Jeremy Lin was very valuable as a backup point guard, but he was only in town for one year. And Courtney Lee was on the team for half a season. So basically all the guys that have been there and have been contributing are back. Is that basically what you're seeing? Yeah, I mean... Lynn was a big loss, I think. We got a luxury
0: having him because he really is a starting point guard, you know, playing behind him Walker. I mean, Sessions is solid, but, I mean, Lynn is is a different tier. We got him for one season was nice. They don't miss Jefferson. I, I, well, to some respect they do, but he wasn't the same player that they signed, you know, three seasons ago. And they don't miss Courtney Lee. Marco Bellinelli is doing what Lee did Um you know, people for kind of like they said, oh well, you know, they lost Courtney Lee. You know, he was a big, he's a big loss. But they they actually started PJ Harrison for forty three games last season, and they were still, you know, they were very much in the playoff race. You know, without Courtney, you know, even when Courtney Lee came into the picture.
1: So just to touch upon a little bit more detail on, on different things that we just talked about. How noticeable do you think the drop-off is from Jeremy Lin to Ramon Sessions as the backup point guard? I know it's definitely felt, but in what ways do you see the difference?
0: Well, Lin's a better shooter. Ramon Sessions is, is a little bit more one-dimensional. He's very good at driving to the hoop, which is something that Lin was good at as well. Um, but he doesn't have quite the outside shots. Lin was also, I think, a bit better playmaker. And I think Sessions Sessions can be relied upon to some extent. But I think in the, there, there were a couple games that Walker missed. Um, or no, there was one, no, excuse me. It was just one game that he missed recently. It was actually during the four game skid. Um, he, it was a personal reasons why he missed it and session stepped in and and he didn't necessarily play bad, but you could tell there was something missing there. And Lynn was able to, you know, when Lynn had those moments where you're like, wow, like this is, this is the player we got excited about in New York all those years ago. Um, you know, he had a few of those games and they came at, at important times
1: for, for Charlotte last season. So yeah, it, it's a drop off, but it was something I think we all expected. What about Al Jefferson? I know you said for the most part he isn't really missed that much, but what area do you see that absence a little bit in? It's
0: the offensive end. I mean, even even though he wasn't the dominant player last season that he was, you know, two seasons prior when he made the all NBA team, he still was the you know, he's still one of the best post players in the league. You know, when when you when they went to their bench unit, because eventually he was he was the backup they had some offense, you know, and I think sometimes this season with the bench unit, there's been a lack of offense, particularly in the post. Uh, So that's something that, that, that they do miss, but they've managed to get around it in other ways.
1: So those two guys gone, Courtney Lee, not on the team anymore. And the offense is basically the same in terms of the efficiency numbers. A lot of people talk about how the Hornets ranked ninth in offensive efficiency last year, and now they're around the 14th or 15th mark, but it's more the rest of the league just getting better and just being more efficient. It's also really bunched up in that area. Do you kind of have a similar takeaway that they're known for their defense, the Steve Clifford-led team, and they're getting the job done offensively, they're doing just enough to be good? Or do you think that they need to show significant offensive improvement?
0: Um. I wouldn't say significant. I mean, like, I think you're, you're right on the spot about saying, like, they do enough. They're a different offensive team, though, this year. Like, last year, they they jumped out and were, I think, a top 10 three-point shooting team. I think I want to say they were seventh in, like, three-point percentage. And they attempted a ton. I mean, I think, they, I think the only team that attempted more was Golden State. And this year, they're actually not shooting that well from three-point line, at least as a team. Uh, but they're getting to the foul line a lot. And they're actually converting a lot. They're scoring more in the paint as well, which is something I think they wanted one of them to do last year. It could be better. I think there's ways it could get better. I think Batum being, playing a little bit more aggressively, which he actually is. I think over the past four or five games, he's been very good offensively. But, yeah, they could – it could be a bit better, but I think it's good enough that if their defense improves just a little bit more, like, again, that consistency thing, you'll start to see them, you know, put together some more win streaks, I think.
1: Yeah. The organization's top priority in the offseason was bringing back Batum. He signed that 5-year, 120 million dollar contract to stay around. It seems like the organization just loves his versatility on both sides of the ball. Do you think so far he's worth all that money?
0: Yeah, I kind of say it's like, like, you know, it's the market,
1: right? That's that's what he was going to go
0: for and yeah. his fit with the team, the chemistry he has with Walker, with Cody Zeller, who I mean Zeller's benefited a ton. From from his playmaking, it's worth it. I think he's 28 now. 20, he's 27 or 28. I think he may have just turn 28. So he'll be in his early 30s. You know when that's over. But I think it's it's still something. It was it was worth it was worth the investment. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, Batum just turned 28 in mid December, and he really fills the stat sheet. He had a triple double against the Bulls last week. And then in Thursday's win over Miami, which you were able to attend, he had 16, 13, and 8. So even though he's not scoring a ton, he's not shooting the best from the field, he just gets a ton of assists and rebounds and really defends.
0: He's a, he's a pretty good defender. I don't know if maybe he's, it's just because all the years he's played in the league, he's not actually as good an uh, individual defender as he was maybe a few years ago. Uh, at least compared to, like, say, Michael K. Gilchrist. But mm-hmm. he, he's a very smart player. He's a very quiet, sneaky player. Like, I, I, you know, when I saw his stat line after the game, I said, that's the quietest 16 and 13 that I've seen, you know, ever. And then and then the eight assists to go with it. So, you know, he just quietly puts together a really good performance, a really well-rounded performance.
1: Now I want to go over to Marco Bellinelli. He's currently out with an ankle injury, but he's been really accurate from long distance this year. I think people, for the most part, either criticized that trade to acquire Bellinelli or just dismissed it as not significant or really important in any way. Last year for the Kings, he was dreadful from beyond the arc. I think it was an outlier, though, if you look at his career numbers. This year, he's in the mid-40s from three-point range. He's just doing amazingly, and as you alluded to earlier in the interview, filling that role that courtney lee was in at least offensively talk about how big that acquisition was
0: yeah i mean he's i i've, I've fallen i've kind of like he's kind of my my guy this year like you know obviously i have my the, the favorite players but in terms of like what he brings offensively um off the bench he i love that he never takes a shot on balance like <laughs> every time he's off balance co- coming off of coming off a curl or a screen it's just you know like he just shoots with one leg up in the air or something like that no, he's, he's very good. And, and I was, when, when they made the trade, I said, I said, this totally makes sense. I said, I had a feeling they weren't going to sign and re-sign Courtney Lee. And I said, you bring him in. He's half the price that Courtney Lee costs. You're not going to get a better player at the 22nd pick. I think it was the Hornets aren't really that great at picking rookies anyways. So I'm like, that's fine. We got it. We got a guy who can fill in as a perimeter scorer off the bench. And I hope, and hopefully the, the ankle injury isn't that severe. Jeremy Lamb's been playing actually fairly well um, in the increased minutes since he's been out, but Bellinelli, I think, will be very important. I think he's probably been their best bench player to
1: this point in the season. It seemed like a lot of analysts were saying he's 30 and he had the worst shooting year of his career. Why go after a guy like that? Was that kind of the general consensus that you were hearing when the trade was made?
0: Yeah, and and I think there's two things about it. Like, um, you know, Cho actually tried to sign him, Rich Cho, the general manager, um, the season before, and then he signed with the Kings. Um, so he obviously was still a favorable player in Rich Cho's eyes. But I think Tom Ziller for SB Nation, I think he covers, he's over at Sacktown Royalty, kind of summed it up very simply. He said, you know, Bellinelli is a good player on a good team um, and a not-so-good player on a bad team. Like, the Kings were bad. The Hornets are good. I think he'll be fine and that's that's basically what's happened.
1: That's a guy that you have to get the ball in the right spots and I know that he played with Rondo who's a good passer and they had cousins to attract defensive attention but for whatever reason it just did not work out and it's really seeming to work out right now this fit with Charlotte.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's like I don't know what it is with the Kings like you, there's they'll, they'll be good players or like solid players that will go there and they just like
1: have really dreadful seasons, and it, it doesn't matter who the coaches or like. Yeah, you know, we could we is. could probably spend an hour on that. Right. <laughs> Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is is um back, and it seems like he's fully healthy for the first time in a while. It's his fifth year, but he's still only twenty three. He came into the league really young. Do you see any offensive development yet, or right now is it pretty much just get healthy, play defense, and the offense will come in time.
0: Yeah, this is interesting. Like we uh, we started to notice, he's a hard one to place because you're right, he is healthy, and I'm really happy that he's healthy because we're finally like you get him night in and night out. I mean, you know, knock on wood that he he stays healthy the entire season because then you can really start to evaluate him on a full season basis. Um, but I actually think you know at least from a shooting mechanic standpoint, his 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 shot has actually regressed a bit. In the brief stretches we saw him last year, he actually had a pretty good-looking jump shot, and now it's like it seems to have reverted back. And there's really not time to to make the changes needed. Um, He needs to figure out where his best practices are for because he tries a few different things. He likes to catch it on the left, um, like the left wing, and then drive with his right across the you know across the paint and like try to score on the opposite end. And sometimes it works, Um, and other times he just kind of just gets rocked at the rim and doesn't and you know because they know he's going to drive so i don't know i mean i'm not re- i mean like you said he's 23 and one thing i've noticed with a lot of hornets players is you really have to be patient with them you know we're like we're signed to. you know we've the last two seasons you've seen Kemba walker really turn into a better player than we all thought cody zeller is now starting to realize some of that potential that we saw him when he was drafted you know so and maybe like you're saying, you know, let him get a healthy season and then say, okay, let's you've got that healthy season, now try to work on and build off of that and actually develop some skills.
1: I don't know that it's really his spot right now in terms of the role for the team. He's playing almost 30 minutes per game, but shooting about seven and a half shots each game. So there's not really that opportunity yet for this roster, given where he fits in, I think, to experiment and flourish and make his own mistakes and learn from them so I think maybe that'll be something that he can develop over the off season and over the coming years it's kind of hard I think when you're that young and you're not getting that many shots
0: yeah and I think you know he's he's an incredibly hard worker um that's what they love about him and I don't and I think you know if he does after the season's over depending on how things go you know they can really start to evaluate Okay, like, what can you do as an like offensively? What can you change or improve on to actually be an efficient part or to have a role offensively? Because right now they don't really look for him in the offense, and let you know the only time he scores, you know, or or even gets shots of it is if it's late in the shot clock, um, or if he he'll make these backdoor cuts that that they'll find him on, which he scores very easily, and then he'll just get the 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 garbage buckets, you know, crashing the boards, getting the offensive rebounds, and those mm-hmm. hustle make you that that remind you why you know they think so highly
1: of them going back to the team's offense more broadly we talked about how it's not quite as good as last year though i think it's pretty close but one area of good news is the passing the assist percentage is now 5th in the league they're 3rd in assist to turnover ratio and 6th in assist ratio and all of those are noticeably better than last year is that something that you've been able to tell is better and streamlined this season compared to last?
0: I guess yeah, because it's like what's what's interesting is like last season was the revelation offensively. Like if you had watched this team two like the, the Lance Stevenson year, it was probably the most dreadful basketball, you know, since since the seven and fifty-nine season. I mean, it was just no ball movement, Lance just kind of holding things. And then last season, we saw all this ball movement, saw a lot of three-point shots. I mean it just was it was it was very fun and nice look nice looking to you know to watch. Um there definitely is a lot of ball movement this year but helps in that regard, you know, I think one thing that, that Zeller, you know, when they when they switch Zeller to the center spot, he gets a lot of his points off of, you know, cuts off the ball, you know, a lot of ball screen action. Um it's just efficient like they just like you said they get to the bat like they get to the basket a lot and it just um but I wouldn't say, like, if you look at the eye test, like, that actually surprised me a little to see say, to say that they're that highly ranked. But given that they don't turn the ball over a lot, it does make sense that they'd be ranked, you know, towards the top.
1: Yeah, the thing, though, that surprised me was, like I said, last year they didn't turn the ball over. They led in, in turnover rate, the lowest in the league. And so this year their assist to turnover ratio, it's 1.98. And last year it was 1.73. So for assists to turnover ratio, that's a really big jump. And now they're assisting on 62% of their field goals. And it was 58.6 last year. So modest, I guess. But still, I think a noticeable jump in those areas. And it's definitely helping them play offensively. Just as we wind down, I'm curious what you think of Frank Kaminsky right now. He's playing more minutes. His efficiency has gone down with more volume. What type of player is he looking like, or is it too early to tell what he's going to be
0: I, I will start by saying it's too early to make the final judgment, but he is not um, he is not an efficient player right now. It really looks like a confidence thing to be honest. You watch him you, you see some of the shots he takes I mean he gets open shots the offense helps him create open shots, and he's just not making them. And it's not just from the three point line, but it's at the rim. It's, it's, you know, it's all facets of the court and you can just see his body language. He's not, he just doesn't feel confident in his game right now. I don't know what this is. I don't know, you know, if it's just something that's progressed over, you know, a few bad stretches of games, but he is a liability a bit. the thing is they have to play him because there's nobody else. I mean, Marvin starts at the four, he backs up at the four. Um, and after that, there's nobody else. I mean, they could they they've tried Spencer Hawes and Roy Hibbert, but as you can imagine, those two are kind of stiff, and the numbers don't are 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 you know don't favor those two on the court together. So they're just trying to. I think they're just hoping that he just sort of figures things out and maybe gets his confidence back because when he's at his best, at least so far in, in a season and a half, um, he's very skilled. He has a number of different ways he can score the ball. I think he could be a very skilled four man for them. Uh, but right now it's just not, it's just not clicking for him.
1: I always enjoy talking to you about the Hornets. It seems like you're really fair and balanced. And if there's a player that needs to be criticized or to trend, you're not afraid to do it. And you, you also don't get too excited. You're measured, I think, in what you say about the team. Just the last question though, I'm curious what you think about Marvin Williams and his new contract. He's a really solid role player <laughs> locked up now for four more years how's he been doing and do you see him as just a really good fit for this team another north carolina guy for michael jordan right he is a very good fit his
0: offensive like his shooting numbers are down like the percentages uh but what he brings is he's he's a very smart player he's very savvy especially on the defensive end Frank actually uh, was interviewed about this over, I think in the off season. And he was there talking, cause he was talking about how he can improve as a defensive player. And he said, one thing he admires so much about Marvin Williams is how smart he is defensively, like how knowledgeable he is about other teams, tendencies and reads and whatnot. And he says, you know, we'll be on the court and he'll just, he'll start calling, he'll, he'll start calling the play out. You know, he'll, he knows where somebody's going before it even happens. And it's just like that kind of, you know experience and 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 knowledge is, is is something that really helps him on that end because he's not you know we wouldn't i wouldn't call him like that elite defensive player you know like when you think of the memorable elite defensive players but he is good and i think a lot of that is just his his knowledge of of other teams and things like that um but he's starting to play a little bit better um offensively he started knocking a few more shots um he had a really really uh kind of throwback to the younger years dunk last night. Um, Hassan Whiteside kind of got out of the way because he he wanted nothing to do with it. No, he's good for them. The the contract's fine. He'll be a little bit older, you know, obviously towards the end of that contract. But the hope is, at least ideally, you know, Frank will make the jump. Um, Eventually Frank will be starting. You know, Marvin Williams will kind of be more of a backup probably towards the end of that contract. But still, I think an important piece. I mean, he's, you know, he he likes Charlotte. He likes playing for Clifford. The, the team loves to play with him, you know, and I think that all creates good things.
1: He was drafted second overall, but don't call him a bust. He'll be playing into his mid-30s. That's a really solid NBA career. He's not a bust, right, Nick? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I
0: when they first signed him, I didn't really know a whole lot. And, and, I, and I, you know, the more I watched him, I said, you know, he's, He's done a really good job of like, having a very, very solid NBA career. We would start thanks again, man. Hey, thank you.